Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 15. The, first, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. As we continue with this series of the life and ministry of David, we are noticing that 1 Samuel is a comparison, a case study between two people. Between King Saul and the future King David. That both of them God had chosen. Both of them were anointed by Samuel. Both of them God had prepared to be used. But yet one fell away and one came closer to the Lord. What made the difference? It wasn't the environment. It wasn't the opportunities. It was an idea of their heart. And the study of 1 Samuel, the key phrase that you'll find out there, deals with the heart. Deals with the heart. That God looks upon the heart. It is the inner man to believe with your heart. And we could see this over and over. As we're continuing with this, we've already seen previously that Saul was chosen to be king when the people rejected God. They rejected God, so God gave them a king after their own heart. Now, if their heart was to reject God, it is no wonder that their king, after their heart, would also reject God. And in this, we've seen God deal with Saul over and over, giving him every opportunity, but we saw that he had a habit, a practice of not seeking after God. He just did whatever he thought was right. He responded the way that he want, wanted. And we could see that he got, was a very emotional, passionate man. And it led him into many dangers. It made him to many heartbreaks. And he's already rejected and disobeyed God once. And God gave him a second chance. He gave him another warning. And now we come to the second rejection of God. And this one is going to be the last chance, the last thing. And let's see if you don't mind as we find the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15. And let's follow this story along and see what occurs in this event. 1 Samuel 15. And notice with me starting at verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over this people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not. But slay both man and woman. Infant suckling. Ox and sheep. Camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together. And numbered them in Telelem. Two hundred thousand footmen. And ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek. And laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Canaanites, Go, depart, get ye down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So among the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. 
And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah unto thou coming to shore, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came up to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about, and has passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel said to Saul, and Saul said, came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared of the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto God, the, uh, the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said unto me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then dost thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but thou didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone in the way which the Lord sent me. And I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, and the sheep, and the oxen, and the chief things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord great uh, the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the in, as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go his way, he laid a hold, the skirt of his mantle, and rent it. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent 
the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then said Samuel, bring hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made women and women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag into pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made it Saul king over Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a key phrase that we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15? The book of 1 Samuel 15, and notice with me in verse number 22. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. And notice the phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach a message here dealing with this heart of the issue. To obey is better than sacrifice. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we hit this passage of this history, this historical event that happened, that we can learn the principle that you tried to get across to King Saul that day, that we may apply it to our own hearts to realize what a type of God that you are, that you are a loving God who loves us so much and you want the best for us. But you're so brokenhearted when we go our own way because we're going to our own destruction, to our own hurt. I'm asking that we would have understanding, that we would have spiritual eyes that would be open to see you as you truly are. I'm asking that you would show yourself high, holy, and lifted up. Once again, I recognize my own inability and know that I need you in a special way, that you need to work, that you need to do something that I cannot do. So I surrender myself to you. Beg that you fill me with your spirit. That you would put everything in order from my thoughts to my words to everything that is done for your honor, for your glory. And that you would have your Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. Drawing them towards yourself because of who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a lot of things in here that deals with the principle at the pinnacle. To obey is better than sacrifice. Here we have a comparison between two terms. To obey is better than sacrifice. So if you were to have on a scale, on one side you would have to obey, and the other side is sacrifice. If you were to put them on a scale and say, which one does God desire more? Which one is worth more than God to God? The obedience would go all the way down. It's worth more. That God wants obedience for our sakes. He knows what's best. But it comes down to the idea of worshiping him who 
is God. If God is truly God, then we have no problems obeying God. But if something else is God, if we consider ourselves bigger than God, then we obey something else that's not God. And that's the problem. The problem to the heart of it is who is God? And whatever that God is, that's who we will obey. You will obey something. Whether it's you or you obey God, you will obey something. And that's the heart of the matter here is who are you going to obey? Not are you going to obey, who are you going to obey? If you don't mind, let's go through here and let's see as Saul is given this last chance. Now Saul has been king for a little while now. <coughs> He's already seen victories over the Philistines. He's already seen some other things to establish him as king. The fight against Jabesh Gilead. But now as the army is now being collected. Remember he went from 600 men to now a decent sized standing army. And now God starts directing his path. The first thing I'd like to show you is Saul's direct order. Saul's direct order. Notice with me in verse number 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over all his, that's God's people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. So what God did is that God reminded Saul that Saul, I'm the one who put you in charge. I'm the one who put you here. Now I'm sending my preacher to declare unto you the words of God. And you obey the preacher's words as unto the Lord. He goes on in verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid to wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. It goes back and gives a history lesson. That when Moses and the children of Israel were going up into the promised land, the Amalekites laid in wait for them with, a, with the purpose of destroying the Hebrew people. God wanted to... Protect the Hebrew people because the Amalekites still had the same goal. They wanted to wipe off every Hebrew people from the face of the earth. And God didn't forget about it. He was watching and remembering them. And waiting for the right time. And now the time is here. God says, I remember those people over there. Let's take care of it now. <laughs> Verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy. What's the next word? All. What does all mean? All, everything, the entirety, all of it. No exceptions. God said all. Destroy all that they have and spare them not. And then he goes on and says it doesn't matter if it's man, if it's woman, if it's child. It doesn't matter if it's a sheep, if it's a goat. It doesn't matter if it's an oxen. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a Malix. I don't want it. Wipe it off. It's, they all die. They, that's the order. And this is a direct order. Destroy them all. Now, that's hard to misunderstand, right? Well, what he really meant, no, he meant all. He didn't mean exceptions, he meant all. So we see the direct order. God gave Saul, through Samuel, the preacher, a direct order. Go kill Amalek because he's going to try to kill you. He still hasn't forgot. They try to kill you before. They have plans to kill you again. They're waiting for their opportunity. By the way, you'll see that in the future. And they will come back just like God said. God's trying to protect them from a horrible, horrible thing coming up. And God says, wipe them out all. I meant all of them. Saul, all of them. 
He says, yeah, yeah, I'll obey. And so we see the direct order. From Saul's direct order, we now come to the next phase here. Saul's decision in battle. Saul's decision in battle. Verse number four, that he gathers up all the people. He gathers up all of his troops. And they came, verse five, to the city of Amalek. And they laid wait in the valley. And while they're surrounding the city, Saul calls to the Kenites, who are not Amalekites. The Kenites actually were, did a favor to the uh, Hebrew people as they were wandering in the wilderness. And he says, all right, we're outside of your town, Amalek. You guys don't get any reprieve. But if you're not an Amalekite, if you're a Kenite, you can leave. No problem. And so the Kenites all started taking off. And they waited for him to clear off. So he was only trying to make sure he only got uh, those people that God wanted to get killed. <laughs> and notice if you don't mind in verse 7 as they start going on. Verse 7, and small, uh, Saul smote Amalekites from Hevelia until they come to shore, which is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, notice this, alive. So here, he made a choice in the battle. They went and were face, facing all the Amalekites. And he found the king. And instead of killing the king, he says, let's put him in chains. Let's make him a prisoner. And let's take him with us. Now God said, utterly destroy all. And Saul made his first choice. No, I'm not going to destroy all. I'm going to keep this guy alive. I've got plans for him. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and... So it wasn't that they spared Agag. It was and the best of the sheep and the oxen and all the fatlings and of the lambs. So as Saul is arresting Agag and putting him in chains, someone comes up and says, Saul, we got all these sheep here. What do you want to do with them? Well, his direct order was to kill them all. But Saul said, you know what? We could use that. Now remember in the ancient world, wealth was not determined by how much money you had. But back then in the society, it was how many sheep you had. How many camels you had. How many oxen you had. How many possessions you had showed your wealth. So if you could translate it, it's almost like a soldier who's supposed to turn over all the money in a war. And he says, hey, you know what? This is nice. And starts pocketing some. No, you were supposed to get rid of it all, but no. Maybe they see a treasure. You know what? No one's going to miss this. And they took it. He's disobeying orders. That was not his orders. But they started rounding up the best. And they said, this sheep over here, it's small, struggling. We'll kill that. Oh, but look at these sheep over here. We like those. We're going we're gonna to keep those alive. And what happened is that they made a willful and purposeful choice to disobey God. They didn't disobey God by accident. They didn't say, oops, we're sorry. We accidentally missed some. It wasn't like they ran away. No, they're gathering them together on purpose. And Saul was in charge. It was his responsibility to see it carried out. But instead, he disobeyed and everyone else followed his example. It all rises and falls on leadership. Now notice in verse 9, And Saul saw the people... So, and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. So it wasn't just that, but anything that they saw good. Oh, we'll keep this. I like this painting. I look at it and kept it. 
Now, again, that wasn't what God ordered. But they kept it anyways. But everything that was vile and refuge, that they utterly destroyed. Well, I hate this cup. This is an ugly cup. Let's get rid of that. And so anything that looked like trash to them, they got rid. But all of the good things they kept for themselves. Again, this is in direct disobedience. God was able to supply all those other things to them. And God could do it in other ways. This is not how he chose. He was doing something else. So we see Saul's decision in battle from Saul's direct order. Then we come to the idea here of Saul's deflection of rebuke. Saul's deflection of rebuke. Now, the whole time God is seeing what's going on. God sees exactly what's going on. Now, Samuel is an older man, so he's not in battle. But he's in the back lines, and God speaks to him in verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. So God wakes Samuel up and says, Samuel, Saul blew it. Saul messed up. He says, because of this, there's going to be consequences. Because of this, he didn't listen. There's going to be things that affect him. I know that you love him, Samuel. But think consequences are going to happen. And how did Samuel respond? Was he cheerful? Was he glad? He was brokenhearted. Why is that? May I give you a principle in ministry that the biggest curse, the biggest weight in the ministry is desiring more for people than what they want for themselves. Desiring more for people than what they want for themselves. When a preacher is able to look at someone and see their disobedience and know where they're headed and he's trying to warn them, it breaks their heart because he could see where they're going. He could see the path of destruction and he's broken hearted and he weeps and he cries and he's so brokenhearted. That's exactly what happened to Samuel. Samuel wasn't glad. He wasn't looking forward to Saul failing. He wanted Saul to succeed. But he wept how long? All night. He couldn't sleep that night. It wasn't a restful sleep. He's so brokenhearted over this situation. But he has to go confront Saul now and go deal with him. But the first thing he's got to do is try to track him down. Verse 12 talks about that Saul rose up early, or Samuel rose up morning to meet Saul, but Saul went to Carmel, and now he went to Gilgal. Had to go track him down, verse 13. So now it's mid-afternoon, late afternoon. And Samuel came to Saul, finally down to Gilgal, and Saul said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Now that's some audacity. He meets the preacher. The preacher is the one who gave him the order from God. And he meets the preacher and says, I obeyed everything you told me. He was ready for it. I obeyed. I did what you told me, preacher. I was there. And Samuel said, what's the meaning of the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen? You obeyed. Then why do I hear all this cattle and sheep? Where'd they come from? Well, now the excuses come. You know, there's something that they call deflection. Deflection is a term from pride that whenever someone rebukes you, you try to deflect the blame to someone else. And we've already seen before that Saul was a master of deflection. That Saul's problem was that he was not a good repenter. Remember, David, on comparison, wasn't absent from sin. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. 
What made him a man after God's own heart? He was a good repenter. That whenever said some, someone pointed and said, you did wrong, he got right. He didn't make excuses. He didn't deflect. But that was Saul's problem. Because of pride, he thought he was always right and it was someone else's fault. And as long as you think it's someone else's fault, you don't fix yourself. The reason why I'm not going to heaven is because I don't get right with God. Because I don't get right with church. Because of this. It's because of this person. How many times we've heard people say, well, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. Well, that's deflection. Well, the reason why I don't read my Bible is because, and they deflect off. And they try to give every excuse of why they didn't obey. Well, here's Saul. The reason why I obeyed, but didn't obey completely is because, let's see his excuse. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we utterly destroyed. We obeyed most of it. But it was the people. They said can we take this. And they did. It wasn't my fault. Well who's in charge? Saul's in charge. It was his responsibility. To make sure that everything was carried out. But Saul he's blaming everyone else. He didn't say he took anything. The people, they took them. It's their fault. Instead, of, everything would have been different right then. Even if he did sin, even if he did mess up, if he would have took the blame right here, everything would have been different. But what we're seeing here is a picture of his heart. So much pride. I didn't do wrong, and let me tell you why I didn't do wrong. I know what the Bible says, but I don't have to obey it because of this. Because of this. Because of this. And he's giving every excuse instead of getting right. Notice if you don't mind. In verse 16. And Samuel said, when thou was little in thy own sight. Notice that phrase. Isn't that a great phrase? When thou was little in thine own sight. Remember when Saul became king? He said, who am I? I'm the smallest family in spite of the smallest tribe of Israel. Who am I? He was a lot better off when he still thought of himself small. But now he got the big britches. Now he's the one who says he's in charge. I don't need God to tell me what to do. I make my own decisions. I'm a big boy now. And that's the problem. So Samuel said, when thou was small in thine own eyes, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee to be king over Israel? <coughs> Verse 18. <coughs> And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go utterly destroy the sinners of Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then thou didst not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the spoil. Spoil has the idea of a treasure that you take from someone else. And so you just couldn't wait. You saw that and saw dollar signs and says, I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this. Now God knows your heart, knows why you do things. He said, you couldn't wait. You saw that sheep and you couldn't wait. To take care for yourself. And dist evil in the sight of God. Now that's pretty bad. It wasn't that he sinned. He did evil in the sight of God. Verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel. Yea I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. It's almost like a child. Some of you have had children. Here's what you hear in your mind. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. I obeyed. I just told you you didn't. Look, did you do? Nah, -uh. 
He's still refusing to attend. He's still in his own mind. And that's what's worse. He thinks he did obey. He is so blinded to his own pride in his actions. He thought he did God a favor. He thought that him just doing his little bit. He's done God such a favor that God could just accept everything. But no, he messed up. Verse number 20. And Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord had sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalekite, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Now, in this, he just admitted that he didn't obey. God said, kill them all, but here you got the prisoner. Now, I obeyed even by taking the prisoner. He's got in his mind that he's obeyed, and that's why pride is so dangerous. Because pride gets us to the place where we think we did right. We refuse to admit we did something wrong. Notice as it goes on. Verse 21. But the people took of the spoil. The sheep and the oxen. The chief things which should have been utterly destroyed. To sacrifice to the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now here's what we have here. Saul disobeyed. That's a big deal. When confronted to it. Saul deflected. Then when he was confronted again, said, no, you messed up. He outright denied that he messed up. He refused to get right. This is where the problem was. It wasn't just that he sinned. If he would have sinned and got right with God, it would have been good and over with. Don't you understand that God's not an ogre? God understands we mess up. He doesn't excuse us messing up. But it's how we respond to it. That's the issue. It is a matter of the heart. Are you humble enough to admit that you messed up? Then God can help you. We explained in an earlier session that the biggest offense in our household is lying. Why? Because as long as my children are honest with me, it doesn't matter how much trouble they get into. As long as they are honest with me, I can help them. I can help them. The same thing is true about God. Same principle. It doesn't matter how much trouble you got into. As long as you're honest with God, he can help you. God could have helped Saul out of this. If he would have just said, you know what? I messed up. I was, I don't know what I was thinking. Let's fix it now. He could have. He had every opportunity. That is why God sent the preacher there and not just sent judgment right then. He was giving them every chance to repent. That's a great God that we have. He wants us to get right. He leaves us enough leeway. Please get right. Please get right. Please get right. But notice this. Saul doubled down and said, I obeyed. And pretty much said, nothing you could tell me will change my mind. I obeyed God. I don't know what you're talking about. I have obeyed God. And he did not. When that line was drawn, we're now brought to a second or another thing here. Saul's disobedience brings consequences. Saul's disobedience brings consequences. Notice in verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So he's doing a comparison. What does God want more? Sacrifices or obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of the rams. You understand that many people have come to this idea in their head here. That I don't have to go to church as long as I give money to the church every now and again. Well that's disobedience. 
Well, I don't have to read my Bible as long as I read some Christian novel or magazine or devotion that I'm good. And they come up with a different thing. I'm doing something for God. And somehow if I do something for God, it erases my responsibility to obey God. God is not paid off. It's either you obey him or you don't. You don't do a barter system. Well, if I pay a million dollars, God will forgive me of my sins. It doesn't work that way. Well, I don't have to listen to what the preacher says as long as I help enough little old ladies cross the street. Well, you understand that's not how it works. And people have in their mind a bargaining system. But God says, listen, obedience is what I'm looking for. Obedience. And you say, why is obedience such a big deal to God? Well, notice with me the next verse. Verse number 23. For rebellion, for rebellion. Remember, we've already described before that whenever you respond to authority, it's one of two ways. You either respond in submission or rebellion. That's your only choices. Submission or rebellion. You know what the Bible says here? For rebellion is as or equals sign, if for those of you who like equations, rebellion equals witchcraft. Witchcraft. You say, what in the world? How did we get witchcraft in here? Witchcraft carries the idea of receiving power from some other source than God. For example, there are Wiccans, uh, people who believe in white magic, and they believe that they get good magic from trees and nature. Does their magic come from God? No, that's why we call it witchcraft. That any type of power that you get other than God is witchcraft, which includes ourself. You see, either God is going to be God or you're going to be God. Some, you are going to obey something. Are you going to obey God or something else? That is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is this. Obedience deals with the idea, who is God? Who is God? If the Lord Jesus Christ is God, then if we truly believe that, then our behavior will reflect it. I will obey him because he is God. If he tells me to do something, I will obey it because he's my master. He's my God. I will obey him. Whenever we disobey God, it is evidence that at that point in time that God is not in his rightful place on the throne. We are trusting ourselves, some other power. Notice as it goes on. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of something else other than God. You know what stubbornness is when you dig your feet in and say, I haven't done anything wrong. What you're saying is that God doesn't determine what's right and wrong. You determine what's right and wrong. It carries the idea of worship. Who is God? This is a big deal because this is the eternal question. Who is God? Who is God? Either you or God or God is God. Either God is God or something else is God. But you will obey something. Who is your master? Who is your master? 
Notice as he goes on in verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected thee from being king. What we see here is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is, is who is God in your life? Who do you obey? Remember, the Bible talks about in the book of 1 John that his commandments are not grievous. After all, Christ has done for me, it's not a big deal to obey him. He's not an ogre. He's not mean. He's not pushing us aside. He loves us so much. He cares for us. He wants the best for us. And for a God who wants the best for me, and he gives me direction, it's for my own good because he loves me. He's that good of a God. But it comes to the idea, who is God? So how does Saul respond to this? How does Saul respond to the idea that he said, listen, your rebellion is witchcraft. Your stubbornness is idolatry. So how does Saul respond? Verse 24, like any other teenager, young person that we get, they're sorry they got caught, but they're not sorry for their sin. Verse 24, and Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed against the commandment of the Lord and the words, because I feared the people and obeyed the voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. Now, let me tell you, anyone can say words. Anyone can say what you think you want to hear. So Samuel gives another point here about God. Verse 26, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go his way, he laid a hold on the skirt and his mantle, and it rent. So Saul begs Samuel, please, 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 please don't let this happen. And Samuel said, it's already done. It's already done. Then he takes his mantle, which is his priestly cloak, and he rips it in front of everyone. That's a public sign of something horrible wrong. And so he talks with Saul, turns to the crowd, who's kind of watching. After all, you're watching the king and the preacher talk to each other. He rips his garment as a sign of public shame. And now Saul's like, "Uh uh-oh, it's public. This is not good. Verse number 28 And Samuel said to him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine, which is better than thee. Now notice verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Now here's what this carries the idea. This idea of um, of that he will not... um, excuse me, repent, carries the idea here of relenting, of giving in. We as parents have experienced our kids begging us, please, please, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And we get to the place where, all right, fine, fine. But you know that you can't out-beg God. Please, God, I'm so sorry, but not mean it. God knows your heart. He knows if you mean it or not. Now, as a preacher, as a person, We can only take people face value. We don't know what their hearts is. But he's trying to tell Saul, you're not fooling God. You could fool the preacher, but you will not fool God. You could try to make yourself look good. You could have your sorry face on. But God knows your heart. Knows if you're sorry that you got caught 
or sorry that you messed up. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse 29, uh, verse 30 again. And he said that Saul, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee. Now, we see his motive there. Honor me now. He doesn't deserve honor, but he says, honor me, I pray thee, before the elders. So everyone's looking at you, preacher. Everyone just watch you tear this mantle. Uh, why don't you pray with me so no one thinks anything's wrong? It's kind of his idea. He's still covering himself. He's still not getting right. <laughs> now I've sinned. Honor me. Pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel. And turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now here the preacher has to take Saul at his word. <laughs> Just like any other preacher would. Preacher, I want to get right. Well, the best I could do is take someone at their word. But that's why he said, God knows your heart. I, I just could respond to what you say, but it's God that knows your heart. Which brings us to the last thing in this passage here. Is that Samuel destroys Agag. Samuel destroys Agag, and that's what he does. He takes Agag, the prisoner, and Samuel goes and says, Hey, you've killed a lot of people. You've destroyed a lot of people. And let's go ahead and take some care of business. And he slices them up. And you say, why is this a big deal? Well, because the future goes on. Remember that Saul was given the instructions to kill them all. Every one of them. And Saul disobeyed. And we know he disobeyed several areas. One of them keeping Agag alive. But it is apparent that he also kept some other people of Agag's alive. Because what you're going to see as you fast forward through time, as you go through Samuel, or Saul the king, David, David and Solomon, Solomon and Rehoboam, and it goes on. Then you're going to have something called the, um, <coughs> the Babylonian captivity where they take the people. Then there's going to be a return. And there's going to be the Persian Empire, which is going to be many years from now. Where we're at right now is about 1100 B.C. You go all the way to the future to close to 500 so 600 years in the future, you're going to have a queen by the name of Esther. And Esther is going to have an enemy that hates all Hebrew people called Mordecai. Or not Mordecai, Haman. And you know who Haman was? Haman was an Agagite. He was a descendant of Agag. And what did Haman do? Haman passed a law throughout the Persian Empire for kill the Jew day. And it was a national day that was posted through all of the post offices, through every general store, through everything, that on a certain date, if you hated a Jew, you could kill them and take all of their stuff. Do you know that if Saul had obeyed God, the events of Esther would have not occurred? You would have not had a pe person who stood up and tried to kill the entire Hebrew people in a vast empire if Saul would have obeyed. Isn't that kind of interesting? Maybe God knew what he was doing after all, not to keep a people alive who wanted to wipe out the entire Hebrew people. That God may have knew what he was doing after all, that God was trying to protect, but instead Saul disobeyed and he set up for trouble for his people in the future. Now we come down to the crux of the matter. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience brings us to the place, who is God 
in my life. In just a moment, we're going to have a baptism. And a baptism is a very interesting thing. Because if you were to think about it logically, it doesn't make sense. What do you mean? All right, well, you're saved. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It is Jesus that saves you and forgave all of your sins. So what we want you to do, what the Bible wants you to do, is he wants you to get in some water. And the water doesn't wash away your sins. It doesn't make you clean spiritually. It doesn't forgive you. But we want you to get in some water and let someone dunk you all the way under and all the way up. Why? Because God said so. What baptism does is a determination who is going to be God in your Christian life. That's why we call uh, baptism the first step of obedience in a Christian's life. They're going to obey God and doing something that doesn't wash them spiritually. It doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't make you cleaner. Uh, unless you haven't had a bath in a while, then maybe you'll do that physically. But it doesn't do anything for you spiritually. It doesn't make you a new person. It doesn't scrub you clean. It is water. This is not holy water. We didn't sanctify it. We didn't put anything special. We didn't even put essential oils. We got it from the city tap, okay? So we didn't even use special bottled water. What, what's the purpose of baptism? For you to determine, is Jesus going to be my God? And someone follows after Jesus, obeying him. You understand? This is the crux of the matter. Obedience says, who is my God? If God is God, then I have no problems obeying what he's told me to do. Because I know he loves me and he wants his best for me. You see, it's all a determination of obedience. Who is God? Which brings me to another thing. Even before baptism comes the idea of salvation. The Bible says that we are sinners. The Bible says because of our sin we deserve to go to hell. The Bible says, not the preacher, the Bible says that we all deserve hell. But the Bible also says that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is a free gift. He's given it to you and all you have to do is receive it. You see, it comes the idea of who is God. If God is God, can you quite simply just obey what God has given to you to do in salvation? Recognizing that the Bible is true and that Jesus is our only way. You see, when it comes to the idea of pride, it's ourself. We come to the idea that I have to be a good person. If to get to heaven, it must be me. It's not you at all. You cannot get to heaven on your own. You cannot live a good enough life. You cannot do enough good works. You can't pay enough money. The only thing you could do is obey what God has said. What has God said? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's all you have to do. Is obey what he said. I believe in Jesus. Believe him for what? I believe that he died for me. To pay for my price. I deserve hell. And Jesus paid my price. And I willfully accept that free gift that he offered me. 
You do your part. Now, your obedience doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. All you're doing is accepting that free gift. It is him and him alone. That's what the Bible says. But people, because of their pride, think that there's some other way. I could be good enough to get to heaven. You cannot. I don't care. I can pay enough money. You cannot. You see, the idea is, is who is God? Who is right? Is God right? Or are you right? Does God have your best interest in heart? Does he love you? He does. Then can you obey his simple commands? It all determines who is God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.